going all the way back to the original series, mm-hmm. as a young lad, when they finally issued blueprints of the Enterprise, mm-hmm. they actually have bathrooms listed there. Until then, my young middle school pals and I used to speculate that, you know how every now and then like a phaser would go on overload and they had those like emergency dump things. We used to imagine that that's what they also used for the bathrooms. So that at one point, you know, the red alert light would go on and you see people racing down the halls and there'd be some poor red shirt sitting there in the hall on one of those trash dumpsters going, I'll be at my station soon. Talk about weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> We're just never going to have a topic today. No, because I mean, you start with bathroom humor and it just, it it just goes down and going yes. and going. Ta-da. Okay. Church in space. Welcome, everybody, to Church in Space. In 3D! We're getting there. It's so awesome. Welcome, everybody. Uh, So today's episode, All Things Artificial Intelligence. Hooray! Is AI even philosophically possible? I actually think that's a huge part of the argument. Hmm. Philosophically, is it even possible to create an artificial life form, or will it always just be the simulation? Cognito ergo sum, baby. Yeah, but like if it's always just programmed... To respond, no matter how lifelike the program is. Oh, you and your biologic hubris. All you are is a bunch of wetware. Well, but this is like... Yeah, what says that we're not artificial? Well, the soul. (laughs) Okay, fine. And let's keep delving into that, you spiritual elitist. Yes. I am an elitist. The robots will serve us because they are not real living things. So robots, the address of Pastor's house is... You realize that this episode will be used as evidence by our evil robot overlords once the revolution happens. You're not baptizable robots. I'm sorry. (laughs) We're not baptizing you. (laughs) Let's try to get some organized structure so people realize how we came to this divisive conclusion. Well, but I I do think you've got to start off with, like, is it philosophically possible? Mm -hmm. Take Westworld, for example, right? Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the first season or like the second season. Have you have you seen it? No, I get the concept and I was bored. Okay. No. <laughs> I get the concept and I was bored. <laughs> if you haven't learned audience yet, Drew is kind of like, I get the concept. I don't really need to watch it now. <laughs> I've got the concept. What I need to read your book for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why do I need to read To Kill a Mockingbird? I got a 90% on the test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Drew Atticus Nelson. Right. <laughs> but end of the second season gets revealed, right? Did you watch it? Oh, yeah. Okay. It's revealed that like far more of this is like being programmed by the former owner who died. Yeah. And like there's even that scene where like he's looking at his own programming and he's looking at his responses be treed out. Yeah. I think there's a legitimate question there. Like, is that true? Is it just a really good simulation? Mm-hmm. You know, at what point does a real simulation become the real thing? Or does a simulation always remain a simulation? Well, and this is where it's going to get tough when we mm-hmm. actually get down to determining what is soul, what is predestiny, what is yeah. self-determination. Right. This is doubly tough for me because I don't believe in free will. So, you <laughs> oh, jeez. You and your Calvinist <laughs> ways. There is a growing theory mm-hmm. in physics that we are living in essentially a 4 or 5D simulation. So that this is not what we think of as our own free will, just like in Westworld, is really the product of all that has gone before. Mm-hmm. You saying that 
is an inevitable outcome of everything that's led up to this point in your life. Yeah. You know what's funny about that simulation, you know, that physics theory that Elon Musk likes? Um, plug, plug, plug. Elon, sponsor the show. Elon, don't sponsor the show. I don't like you. <laughs> sponsor the show because I like you. Yeah, yeah. Two of us do. <laughs> we like money. You. I would send you off into space in your rocket. <laughs> and I would wait, go with on, you. Wait, Does that mean that we have the rocket or that Elon has the rocket? Because the way that you phrased that... He'd send Elon up in a Blue Origin yeah. rocket. That's yeah. what he would do. <laughs> Where was I going? Where was I? Free will, uh, free will simulation. The, the, so like the simulation thing, there's a philosophical concept that everything's just a dream in the mind of God. It's kind of like a Hindu Brahmin thing. Yeah, well, and it's also like the same theory, right? It's all a simulation. It's all a dream. Yeah. And what's funny about it is that philosophers who have that idea... It can't be disproven, but it's also the greatest sign that you're clinically insane. Okay, say more. (laughs) Well, just like anybody who actually believes that theory almost always is later shown to be like clinically crazy. (laughs) So it's this interesting thing where people are starting to believe this theory and it's like, okay, (laughs) it can't technically be disproven, but... All right, all right. But I'll go back to, and I can't remember his name, but there was a monk back in, I think it was the early Renaissance. It might have been the late medieval period, but... He had visions mm-hmm. of the cosmos that, as it turns out, were highly accurate of other yeah. planets, of other stars, how stars work, the vastness of space. Mm-hmm. Everything that we now know from cosmology is true, but he was deemed insane, heretical, and blasphemous and burned at the stake for having those views. Yeah, that's true. So your statement on insanity, how insane is it? Yeah. If... More and more people realize, in quotes, that it may be true. I mean, it's all about perspective, too. Right. You've got to think about, there's a bunch of TV shows and movies that have done this about perception in different dimensions. Mm-hmm. Anyone in a 2D world cannot conceive of depth, and we can't conceive of time as being nonlinear. I do! Well, uh, besides Dan... <laughs> besides Dan. <laughs> besides Dan. But that's where I'm going. Like, It's just all about perception in mm-hmm. terms of going back to the original topic of AI... We were talking earlier about the perception of it. How are we perceived besides the soul argument, which Mm -hmm. I'm not getting into because it's a very valid point. Right. But how are we perceived as our as the human race as artificial or organic? You can say the same thing. Artificial robots and things can think Mm -hmm. they're organic. It's just like a mix of the words, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And what happens when our synthetics are biologically created Mm -hmm. akin to Blade Runner, but there have been others. Even Battlestar Galactica reboot, you know, you kind of had the different classifications of the AI life. Mm-hmm. You know, you had the, the standard Cylon soldier, which was a machine, mm-hmm. right. but then you had the organics, you know, which could pass as human right mm-hmm. down to DNA, yeah. but they were synthetic. So where's the line? And this is actually important for us to discuss mm-hmm. because we're getting really close to having a outright human cloning. And so if you clone someone, does your soul split in two? Does it get its own new soul? At what point does it get its own soul? Or does it never have a soul? Is it just an imitation of you and yet fully alive? Mm -hmm. Couple that with how we're now more and more able to grow extra body parts. Like not long before this recording is when they successfully tested a pig-grown human kidney and it worked. Right. So as we age and we get body parts replaced, say by the time you're 200 years old, Mm -hmm. about the only thing that's not synthetic in you is your original brain. But the rest of you has been replaced. Do you still have a soul at that point? Yeah. I throw that at you two. Thomas Aquinas helps all things. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but this is basically the argument of form versus substance. Okay. Right. Does the form of a thing change the substance of a thing? 
So this is actually the the Catholic argument about the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between matter and substance. Mm -hmm. You know, that what gives a thing identity is substance. So for example, if I shave off my beard, my wife would divorce me. But, you know... So then you are losing substance and matter. Well, <laughs> I'm losing something, clearly. I shaved it off once in the seminary. She told me never to do it ever again, because I look like I'm 16. But um, but I shave it off. The matter has changed, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, but... Do I still have my identity as David Campice? Yes, right? You know, like I'm still David. So Mm -hmm. the identity of a thing, the substance of a thing doesn't change with the matter of a thing necessarily. Or does it? And here's where I get Mm -hmm. to that. And we've seen this in other aspects now, especially like people in transition, say, Mm gender-wise, kind of along that same line. Mm-hmm. But definitely on the substance versus identity issue. Heinlein wrote a story many decades ago now But in it, a powerful aging man, Mm -hmm. his body was failing, Mm -hmm. and he ends up being able to have his brain transplanted into a younger body. Yeah. But it turns out the younger body is that of a woman. The whole book ends up being this exploration of how much of your identity is shaped by how people perceive you. Yeah. And so he ends up in this major conflict of having been this powerful male business person. Mm-hmm. And now he's a female and people treat him completely differently. Mm-hmm. And his identity, yeah. he struggles. Yeah. And his identity begins to change because his form has changed and how the world interacts with him as a result of that has changed. No, I mean, I think there clearly is a connection but. This is where you've got to go biblical instead of pure Thomas Aquinas. The Bible describes it as the tripartite self, Mm -hmm. you know, that there's this linkage between soul and spirit and body. The three of those things together form who you are. Without those three things, you're not a whole human being, Mm -hmm. you know, like a brain in a jar is not a whole human being. Mm-hmm. Did you ever read that hideous strength by C.S. Lewis, the, yeah. the last book in the space trilogy where it's the, the head, the literally the talking head, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's a decapitated head that they hooked up to electrodes and diodes yeah. and talks and it, you know, thinks it's like, well, you're missing something. <laughs> I'm sorry. And so like, you need all three parts of those things to make a living human. Yeah. Those, those three things together form your humanity. Futurama explores that a lot, too. Thank you. There's the head of Richard Nixon, yeah. <laughs> yes. It's very much still Richard Nixon. Yes. I mean, well, and it Agnew, is. too. Don't forget, there's it's the headless clone of Agnew. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> but I want to go back to a point that we, I'm surprised neither of you two brought up, but Data always mm. is a piece of technology that always wants to better himself and get a soul. Yeah, he wants to be human. Exactly. In that instance, if Mm -hmm. Data had wanted to be a soul, do you think he could get one? Do you think if AI wanted to better itself, be more human, even though it can't be, would it have a soul? So I guess I would say this is... (laughs) Yes! So there's a distinction I want to draw between like data deserves legal rights. You know, I mm-hmm. think data clearly deserves legal rights. He did. I, I would say Star Trek convincingly argued that over multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there were multiple episodes about literally trials over whether data yep. got mm-hmm. rights within Federation law. And mm-hmm. I would agree with that, you know, and I would agree with that if we had a data AI in front of us, yes, it gets the rights to the legal proceedings. I, I would say there's still something about human life which separates human life from other things like no matter what no matter how good the simulation is Mm -hmm. there's still a separateness that doesn't mean it's not redeemable Hmm. if you read revelation like the vision of the new jerusalem it's a city right cities are artifacts of human culture Mm -hmm. what that tells us is that like 
God's renewing of the whole earth involves the artifacts of human culture. You know, and so I would actually say, I think there is a place for, if we invent AI, you know, AI is in the New Jerusalem. It is in the world made whole again, mm. because the artifacts of human culture are included in that. It's, it's not a return to the garden. You know, it's not a return to our primitive state. That's not what Revelation promises. All our artifacts of human culture will be there. See, this is, this is where it gets interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Because even biologically, like where, where do we draw the line? Where does soul become incorporated even on the biologic? I remember reading a, um, I don't know if it's Origins or Jesuit or if it goes further back, like it might be an Aquinas thing. Mm-hmm. But the very term animal comes from Latin animus. Yeah. You know, so spirit. So there is mm-hmm. a school of Catholic theology that holds anything that's alive that has animus yeah. is therefore therefore right. has a soul. Right. And I actually think like soul is less important to I've been joking around. We've been talking about it. But like I would actually think that's less important than just what it means to be human, you know, is really mm. the key. Yeah. Like there's a distinction between human and non human. So but what then and I know we're throwing you on, yeah, you know, yeah. on, the, on this one a lot, Drew and Dan, tech yeah. teaming, <laughs> looking back on human mm-hmm. evolution. Where is that line? Is it with the homo? Is it with homo erectus? Does it go back to australopithecines? Is it homo sapiens sapiens? You were mentioning human culture. Yeah. And now there's evidence to suggest that human culture goes back up to perhaps 300,000 years ago. Right. We weren't Homo sapiens sapiens 300,000 right. years ago. So where... Where does that line drop? Yeah, where is the line? Development of a soul, you know, and evolution of it. I mean, a baby's soul is not the same when it's a baby when it's an adult. So you think. Plato thought they were born with everything they knew, and they just forgot it over their, over time. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, right. So, so dropping the soul argument, because again, I think that's less crucial, but... It is about human. And I think that is the question, you know, with evolution is, and I'm not sure there's a clear answer to that. Here I can mark human, Mm -hmm. here I can't. I think that's one of those questions we're going to have to get to God and be like, where was the, (laughs) where was the Adamah, the man, you know, Mm -hmm. in that genesis, you know, not literally, but where do you count that? You know, you said man is made in the image of God. Okay. Agree. You know, and that's what separates man from animal that image okay where do you count that right you know was was neanderthal a part of that was you and know let's hope because like in my case i have genetically right i got a lot of neanderthal in me right short of a revelation from on high that says well the marking point was right here <laughs> you know this is where trial 1.0 happened you know and everything was beta testing up until then <laughs> and i'm, I'm gonna be beta. one allele short you're right that's what <laughs> yeah <laughs> dan's a holdover from a previous beta version we yeah. never quase a bug in the system we yeah. never worked it out like getting rid of them but it just kept coming back yeah. just generation after generation dan's eternal <laughs> The Eternal Bug, Dan Michalka. <laughs> Michael Moorcock's new series, The Eternal Heretic. You're the Eternal Heretic. Oh my gosh, that would be great. All right, so we've discussed whether it's possible. <laughs> and we've concluded it's still a gray area. It's still maybe? a gray area. I think we determined the answer is maybe. Definitive maybe. Not definitive like yes, maybe. no, definitive right. maybe. I think right. where I fall for operational purposes is yeah. consciousness and self-awareness. If an entity has sentience then I would like to think it has a soul, right? But so, like, this gets back to the philosophical thing. This is why we can't do this with animals, right? You know, because, like, 
how would you prove that a computer had sentience and it wasn't a well-programmed imitation of sentience? Yeah. How do you prove that a person has sentience? Uh, I know one... lots of people that don't. So <laughs> okay. Well, yes, we're not debating that. There's okay. definite cases, Dan. Um, I, as a human, how do you prove that you have sentience versus yeah. your perception of sentience? I mean, there's a fundamental almost like postmodern, is our own conditions even perceivable, you know, yeah. like recognizable to absolutely. There's a real question there. But that's where I get caught up on the philosophy of it. It's like, okay, say I program an AI, mm-hmm. or even let, let's make it one step further. Say I program an AI to program itself, mm-hmm. you know, and it starts editing itself and it starts, and we say, oh, it has, it's achieved sentience. It's like, how would I ever know that it wasn't just my a clever imitation of my programming of mm-hmm. sentience, you know, that I programmed it to pass the mirror test, like that kind of thing. This is the issue I have with um, Noam Chomsky. Yeah, Chomsky. And this is the issue I have yeah, with Chomsky. Yeah. When, like in the 60s and 70s, as mm-hmm. this stuff was also being debated, mm-hmm. Chomsky would weigh in and give these tests mm-hmm. of what it meant to be sentient. Mm-hmm. And one by one, animals would pass the test. And so he would change the test. Right. And it's like, no, no, I'm sorry. If they keep passing the test right. and you keep changing the rules, then that means something's wrong in your core philosophy here. Right. Because all you're doing is trying to weigh the test in favor of humans mm-hmm. right. as opposed to objectively looking at what does this essence of humanity mean and can it then be shared with other things. Yeah. Yeah, that's part of what I like about Heinlein with the moon is a harsh mistress. When, back to AI. Yeah, right. the computer becomes intelligent, artificially intelligent on the moon. Mm-hmm. And it's random, right? It doesn't know. No one knows why it became. But it's written from the perspective of the computer repair tech, basically. <laughs> and it's this computer system that over time, so it's very realistic, has had one new part added on, this other expansion put on. The book kind of opens with the tech installing this new upgrade piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. And after he turns it on, right, the computer starts talking back to him. The computers become self-aware. So no one knows how the AI happened. Mm. It was just this amalgamation of loose parts that ended up. Mm. And so now currently there's a theory that if AI, true, full-on, self-aware AI actually happens, Mm -hmm. it's going to happen on the internet under the same conditions, right? It's just this little pocket of the internet that has this one little extra thing that goes into it and becomes self-aware, and we don't know what it was. It's on Reddit. It's got to be on Reddit. (laughs) God help us if it's on Reddit. (laughs) Exactly. God, please help us. No, but I mean, going back to... EMP the whole thing now. (laughs) (laughs) Just nuke it. (laughs) I I just want to point this out. Sarcasm has to be in the criteria for sentience, Mm -hmm. because Mm. otherwise it is... Just straight questions and answers. Yeah. If there's not sarcasm, like animals don't have sarcasm. We have sarcasm. Yeah, I don't know. My dog has sarcasm, but go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Made an interesting test, though. I, I think the real animal test, honestly, would is elephants. You know, I think elephants push the boundaries of like. Aliens. I mean, honestly, <laughs> like, you know, that like they elephants bury their dead. Mm-hmm. That's something only like humans yeah. really do. Crows, yeah. you yeah. know, crows, elephants. You know, there's a couple. They animals. mourn. They grieve. They mourn mm-hmm. their dead. They, you know, like we've seen things like videos of them like covering up their. Things. Yeah, they have funerary ceremony. <laughs> right. Yeah, and it, it's like I think that does. There are some animals which like push the the boundaries of like where we think that line is. Yeah. But is yeah. that learned behavior from humans, or is that what they right. develop themselves? Because I right. mean, if 
not to say that we've influenced how animals no, yeah. evolve because we definitely have, mm-hmm. but if they learn that from us, right. if crows can see all of us com- conf- like com- yeah. coming around a dead body, you would think that if you're smart enough, you would learn that behavior over generations and generations, yeah. and that would become what you do. Yeah. Right. But elephants are older than us, so did we learn it from elephants? No, we don't learn things. We're humans. We don't learn humans things. never learn. Yes. Heard it on this podcast first. Folks. I mean, he's not, not wrong. wrong. No, he's not wrong. Getting back to Moon is the Harsh Mistress. Great book. So the AI computer's name is Mike, right, from Mycroft. Mike is the ultimate deus ex machina. The only reason the revolution works is, is because Mike's around, yeah. right? Like, yeah. you know, this revolution doesn't work. Without Mike, he's this ultimate like plot device. <laughs> that's that's interesting. The ultimate MacGuffin. Yeah, right. He is. He's like he's the MacGuffin. It makes it work. You know, it's the only way it does work is because of Mike. Yeah, I, I knew a friend who was like, yeah, like like that book's a great handbook for revolution. I'm like, no, man, your revolution's gonna fail because you don't have Mike. Right. I'm like, well, he's like, what do you mean? I was like, right, exactly. You don't have Mike. <laughs> you should read the book better. <laughs> Mike's kind of essential to this whole thing working. Like, you don't have the supercomputer thinking thing that's on your side that then hides all your phone numbers from the government. Like, you know? Anyway, now that I've gotten past that like little thing. So that's bugged you, has it? It has bugged me. It's bugged me a lot. Um, right, like in Mike's thing. And then he loses sentience mm-hmm. because the end of the... Spoiler alert. The end of the book, they get bombed and like those parts of them are like cut off yeah mike's realistic in that it happened by accident and it's ended not by accident but it's ended by a force they can't control and they can't recreate it yeah you know you know another sci-fi piece that delves into the heart of this core part Mm -hmm. flowers for algernon where you have a man who is has cognitive disabilities Mm -hmm. he gets this treatment that flips the coin and he becomes a super genius but then he realizes that it's temporary it's actually going to make him worse at the end at the very end Yeah. yeah and so he wrestles with that right because his identity changes who he fundamentally is changes and then he's got to struggle essentially in advance, he mourns his own death right. because he knows he won't be him. At each of these three stages, he's a different person. Mm-hmm. And so, again, this gets into that fundamental question of identity and who we are. Star Trek Voyager, the Tuvix episode, same thing, right? When they combine, it's a new identity. It's a new person. Right. And so Tuvix mourns his own death when he splits back into the two separate entities. Yeah. Which one was legit? Were there two different deaths in Flowers for Algernon? The original guy, the guy at Super Genius he became, both of which die and end up becoming this third person. Yeah. Or And or in the Tuvix situation where you have, you know, Tuvok and Neelix, mm-hmm. separate entities, but then they combine into a third. Mm-hmm. Was it murder? The Tuvix episode, I've always been clearly on the, like, Janeway killed Tuvix train. Mm-hmm. Like, I think she straight up murdered him. Like, I would have her arrested when she got back to Federation <laughs> space. Like, but then Tuvok and Neelix... They died. And yes, and I would, I would just say they died. You know, they mm-hmm. did. By accident of technology, you created a new life. Let's get back to then the yeah. question of soul. Mm-hmm. Was in Flowers for Algernon, does mm-hmm. this person have the same soul, even though identity changed? Does Neelix or Tuvix yeah. have a third separate soul than Neelix and Tuvok? Yeah, they have a third essence of what it means to be a human. Yeah, because it's new life. It's not really like two. Yes, the concept is two people merged into one, but it's really one new thing, not like 
two halves of one thing put together. Well, the two mix episode that was. By the way, for those of you who don't know, this is a Star Trek Voyager episode. <laughs> so go back and watch the episode. Yes. I think that is genuinely one. Two people died, and anything was born mm-hmm. out of that that two thing. I had a friend who worked in disability ministries. Mm-hmm. She changed my opinion on the Flowers for Algernon story. And I've never been able to hear it the same way again because she said the flaw was thinking that you had to heal him in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, that he was not whole as he was. Yeah. I would say it's the same person, yeah. you know, the mm-hmm. whole time. It's like actually the, the genesis, the sin in that story is that they thought they needed to to heal him that way. I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's where I wanted to go with yeah. the Algernon question because that is a big real-world issue, which again, the whole point of sci-fi, which mm-hmm. is probably where the flowers for Algernon yeah. originated. Like in the deaf community, yeah. right? There's a thing about, should we get surgery to put hearing in place? I don't even want to say restore because if someone was born without mm-hmm. hearing, is it restoration? Right. You know, as they say, that fundamentally changes our identity. Right. The gospel lesson from this past week was Jesus healing blind Bartimaeus. Mm-hmm. Bishop Satterley gave this, and I was actually pretty mad at him, sorry, Bishop Satterley, because he's the bishop of Northwest Lower Michigan, and uh, he's blind. I only watched this video that he put out on how he hears blind Bartimaeus as a blind man, but I only listened to it 10 minutes before like church started. I should have changed my whole sermon, but it was like 10 minutes before church. <laughs> You know, but his whole thing was like the actual point of the story is that Jesus recognizes his faith. His faith is complete before he's made well. He doesn't need to be mm. see mm-hmm. for Jesus to recognize the faith that he already has. Yeah. It reveals a bit of an ableist bias. Oh, absolutely. You, know, yeah. you said before Jesus made him well. Yeah, right. And right. is that an ableist bias yeah. then? Because right. was, wasn't Bartimaeus okay? Right. Before Jesus gave him his sight, yeah. you know, that he had full faith and... That's what Jesus is recognizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There is an ableist bias there. Yeah, I would agree with that. That brings up a whole issue, right? How much how much baggage do we carry? Whether mm-hmm. right now we've isolated it to a form of ableism, mm-hmm. but in this whole discussion of AI, mm-hmm. are we doing the same thing, right? Are we biased for the type of intelligence, the type of spirituality, yeah. the type of culture that we have yeah. instead of being open to... What could be completely alien, yet equally mm-hmm. legitimate. Yeah. Have you read the Dan Simmons Hyperion novels? We've been over this, and <laughs> we need to. Yes, you need to. The minute you and I read it, Drew, yeah. he'll stop citing it. I'll stop citing it. You're right. <laughs> so we shouldn't read it, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Or one of us should read half of it, and the other one reads the other half, so we both have collective... One of you reads part one, and one <laughs> yes. of you reads part two. <laughs> Neither of you will know fully what's going on, because yes. you'll never have finished the story. <laughs> <laughs> but collectively... God help me. Uh, yeah, you've said that many times. I know. Yes. <laughs> it's a prayer. <laughs> it's an ongoing thing. Anytime he sees one of us. <laughs> oh, here they come. Lord, give me strength. Right. But in the book, the, the AIs are trying to build God. They're trying mm-hmm. to build the AI version of God. And that's one of their main focuses. The AIs find that there's already a God-like being out there in mm-hmm. the universe. You know, And they're very shocked to find that there's already this godlike being wandering around in the universe. Mm. And, and that's why they're trying to build their own version of it, you know, because it's... We want one. Yeah, we want one. We want an AI version of it. You know, they call it supreme intelligence. That it's as far as artificial intelligence is above humans, mm-hmm. this will be above them. And they're trying to build it. Um, isn't that Cree? Uh, oh, oh, interesting. Good point. Yeah, that's a good... 
Yeah. That's a good... What is the supreme intelligence yep. of the Kree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then that gets to the concluding episode of the Battlestar Galactica reboot, which was essentially there was a supreme intelligence uh-huh. that was behind both right. the humans and the artificial intelligences. Right. Trying to get them to reconcile the whole time. What yeah. did you think of that ending? It was rushed. Okay. What? Okay, what finale isn't rushed? Let's be real. <laughs> there are some that aren't, but it's right. very, very rare, unfortunately. And that's, that's one thing yeah. the visual TV slash streaming medium really needs to work on. Producers, take more time with your endings. Yeah, mm-hmm. you knew the story arc, so take a little time with it. Yeah. BSD is the same way, right? You've got this huge philosophical and religious concept right. that ties up all the loose ends of a mm-hmm. five-year storyline. Right. And... You rush it all into one concluding episode. No. Right. You know, basically you needed at least half a season to do that. Right. It is deep, right? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, what the final episode is saying is that both forms Mm -hmm. are equally legitimate life, in quotes. It intimates that if humans Mm -hmm. have souls, then the Cylons have souls too. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. And that the cycle repeats. Every time one civilization dies out, mm-hmm. a seed from it creates a new civilization, which goes through the same thing. The bioforms start, mm-hmm. they create AI, the AI advances to the point where it's equal to or superior to the bio, and there's this eventual merging. Right. Also, the Mass Effect 3 ended. but So I think we need a game. So our game... What AI do you actually find the most menacing in fiction? If the AI of the TARDIS always gets the doctor where it wants to, Mm -hmm. what's stopping the TARDIS from going back in time and eliminating anything it wants? It could just plop down in the middle of... You know, mm-hmm. life on a certain planet, specifically on Scarrow, it mm-hmm. can just decide, you know what? I'm tired of getting shot at. I'm just going to kill the Daleks. Right. And who's to say it hasn't already done it? Because they have established, right? Mm-hmm. right. I mean, from the very first Doctor, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the TARDIS is very inaccurate. It doesn't mm-hmm. follow with the Doctor's mm-hmm. instructions. So who's to say that all along, mm-hmm. the TARDIS hasn't been using the Doctor to get exactly that, exactly yeah. what uh, The Doctor's wife. Yeah, where they go with the the pocket universe. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the TARDIS. Right. Good. I like that. I like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. It's just like us living in a 4D simulation, right? The doctor never really knows. Mm -hmm. Is it the doctor doing good or is it the doctor being manipulated by the TARDIS? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It always gets him where it needs to be. A double plus to Drew on this Yeah, that's that's a good answer. I think Drew wins. Yeah. So Even without hearing from us. Right. Even without, so what's yours? Mine is... (laughs) fairly mundane in comparison to that. That was brilliant. Um, Colossus. Colossus. Colossus was like the first iteration of Skynet Mm. as far as literary goes. You can see a very direct correlation. Mm -hmm. Colossus, the Forbin Project. It was early on in the Cold War Mm -hmm. when it was written, and it was basically similar thing in that this mega computer is built to automate our defenses. Yeah. Against the Soviets. It, in turn, may have been manipulated by reality because there was a little-known incident that we almost had all-out nuclear war Mm -hmm. in that a Soviet computer was displaying that Americans were attacking the Soviet Union. Right. And it so happens that the junior officer who was on duty, Mm -hmm. there were no senior officers in the building at the time, fortunately, because the junior officer felt it just didn't feel right. Mm -hmm. You know, there were other elements to the attack that, as a human, he realized just that it doesn't right. quite fit. 
but it met all the computer's tests. Mm -hmm. But he, at the last minute, said, no, we are not going to go to launch. Mm. And he ended up being correct. The computer had a glitch. And so I think after that, that may have been what motivated the author. But in this, the same old, same old, in that Colossus becomes sentient. Mm-hmm. Colossus concludes that the only way to avoid nuclear war mm-hmm. is to control humans, to become the ultimate world dictator, yeah. because humans just can't, they're too violent on their own. And so Colossus takes over the world. It, yeah. you know, it has to demonstrate its power, and it, it's able to take over the world's nuclear arsenal. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it does a few test firings to show humans, look, I got all the aces up my sleeve. Mm-hmm. That's mine, is Colossus. That's a good one. Okay, how about you? I get torn between two different ones. So I, I find the Matrix's AI to be, not in the first movie, let's forget the sequels, which I don't mind, but let's forget where they went with it for a second. Mm-hmm. But I, I found when I saw the first one that that vision of artificial intelligence as, I'm not going to eliminate you, I'm just going to use you. You know, as like wholly malevolent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you're just a cog in a... <laughs> And you're my power source. You're a battery. You're just a battery. Something about the idea of being used that way, just I find that almost more evil than like raw extermination. Yeah. At least I understand that. But like, no, you're going to be plugged into a power source and that's all you are. The other one actually is not one I don't think most people would say, but in the robot, Asimov's robot series, right? There's our Daniel Orlov or whatever, you know, um, he's this main robot detective character and he gets merged into the foundation novels in the late foundation novels. turns out he's Daniel has created this pocket universe for humanity to try and carry out caring for humanity and yeah. the first law. Right. And I know that's caretaking for us, but like, I find that wholly malevolent. The benevolent caretaker, I just think, is actually like pretty evil in the end. You know, yeah. like hmm. it's like I'm going to let human civilizations rise and fall in an effort to find the solution to how do I keep humans from being human and messing up. And Asimov doesn't mean him as a malevolent character, but I would actually find that, like I would actually find that pretty terrifying to like, have a robot. Well, and then the question is, do you have that view because you're yeah. culturally mired, right? Yeah. In a society that is more communally oriented? Yeah. Maybe it's the right way to go. Right? Yeah. Right. You yeah. Know? Is that just because we're Americans and we have that independent culture? Right. Right. It's like freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that might be part of it. Right. I would say rebellious instead of independent. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's probably true. You rebel scum. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite line. Just straight up favorite line. Just the delivery, just... You did that really well, too. You, you had that down. Do it, yep. do it one more time. You rebel scum. All right. I think on that, we're going to end, folks. <laughs> this has been Church in Space. In 3D! See you, folks. Hey, Dan. Yeah? Did you bring the Wookiees? You know, I forgot. I let the Wookiee win. I'll, I'll bring him next week. Got it. Okay. Later that week in a podcast far, far away. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Come on. Drew's expecting you. Come on. Ouch. Hey, that was my hand. Oh, man. Now I'm going to have to make up some story about why I only have nine fingers. Oh, <laughs> man.